today's uh, conversation is about being a disciple. And um, we don't hear people talk too much about what the Bible says about being a disciple. So um, we are today. And uh, then he gets up and he says the story of the Shumanite lady. And uh, she had a death. And her, her response was, it's okay. You can go out into this world today. When you go out to lunch, you know, if you can find a table today, and you could ask somebody that doesn't know Jesus, is it okay? And they might think it is, because they might have money, they're eating in a nice restaurant, they might have a car and a house, and, and who knows what. See, I used to think I was okay, because I had all that stuff. But they're not okay. You know when they get okay? You know when you got okay? When you died. Once you're dead, all is well. Before you're dead, much as you might think otherwise, nothing is well. So he gets Denny to stand up, and <laughs> Denny asked me for permission to talk. What a guy. <laughs> It'll be me in a couple of weeks. Denny, I'm back. <laughs> anyway, that's the, that's the crux of this whole message, is that Jesus is calling us to die. And today we're going to get a sense for what that looks like. Okay? Okay. So, I hope your chair is comfortable. I'm going to make a quick clarification. I've talked about the gospel. This is, I think, week five or six. And, and I described the gospel, but I never described the gospel the way Jesus describes the gospel. The gospel is not a gospel of salvation. It's not a gospel of reconciliation. But both of those things are part of the gospel. The gospel is of the kingdom of God. It's the gospel of the kingdom. I can't stop looking at you guys. You bless me so much. Thank you. Um, it's, it's the gospel of the kingdom. So, so what is salvation, reconciliation, justification, uh, righteousness have to do with the gospel of the kingdom? It's the way in. We're all separated from God. He sent his son to declare that the kingdom of heaven is now at hand. It's available to you. Repent and believe. So, so the gospel, the good news is that there's two kingdoms. And we don't have to live in the dark one. We can live in the light one. Amen? Okay, good. That was a good word right there. All right. So we've heard the gospel. We've heard how to respond to the gospel. We've heard what the gospel isn't. And that we shouldn't or can't get distracted from the gospel that is the gospel. Now it's time to move forward in relationship with Jesus. Right? I'm just pretending like you're all a bunch of white sheets of paper before you know, the anointed one started talking. That was me. If Jesus, I say this all the time, if Jesus would have fell out of the sky, laid it on my head with a cross over his shoulder, I would have wondered who he was before, when I was 40 years old, or 40 years old, I guess. So I'm pretending like that's you. That's why I went in such brutal detail through all the steps, all, the, all these different parts. A couple weeks ago I said there's a, there's a timeline of a person's life when they meet Jesus. They meet Jesus, they're born again, they're justified, they're regenerate. These are all words that mean the same thing. And then there's this part of the timeline, and then either the rapture happens or they die physically, naturally, and they go to be with Jesus for all of eternity. The space from when it starts to when you go be with Jesus for eternity, I'll call disciple. That's what that time is. It's not who you used to be. It's who you are now. It's not who you're going to be in glorification 
but it's who you are in the process of being glorified. That timeline that every born-again person that hasn't physically left this earth yet is the time of disciple. And it is a high, high call. And I think as, as the church, I, I, I would say as Pat Brady the Christian, and the church, I, I can't paint with an absolute brush because I don't know. I know in places of the world there is absolute devotion uh, and people are truly walking out the scriptures the way that they're, they're laid out for us. But, but I know generally, especially in the Western church, um, that the whole idea of what it means to be a disciple is, is lost. So we're going to resurrect it here today. Okay. Now, that said, disciple is not a given. The fact that somebody makes a confession of faith, I, I have a hard time, just let me tell you, I have a hard time making a distinction between you could be saved but not be a disciple. You follow me? Because Jesus didn't call for people to be saved. He called for disciples. Being saved is the start of the process, remember the timeline, of being a disciple. So, so somebody says, I've heard this many times, well, Jesus is my Savior, but he's not my Lord. My, my answer is then he's not your Savior either. If I understand the Scriptures right, if he's not Lord, he's not Savior. Because part of the covenant agreement for him to be Savior is for you to confess him as Lord. Amen. So, so this, this idea that somehow you can be saved and then not be a disciple, not die, is foreign to the Scriptures. Hey, do you know you have a spotlight on? No. Jeremiah. That gets my attention, let me just tell you. (laughs) Thank you. Um, It's foreign to me. So if somebody said, well, prove to me that if I haven't chosen to be a disciple, I can't be saved. Where does it say that? I'm not sure I could give you exact words, but I, I, I would ask you, why would you bother? And I would caution you that I don't think you can. So, it's not a given that if you get saved you'll be a disciple, or if you confess faith, whether it was sincere or not, disciple is a decision. And if we would present that to people, when we shared with them the gospel, it would be much easier for them, because without some sense for disciple, and then you come here and you find out about it, it's like a bait and switch. It's like, well, let's just tell them about the stuff that they'll think is good, and we'll just ease them into the stuff that's true and see how that works. You end up with, I think, crappy Christians. People that aren't really devoted to Jesus because they came into that relationship for selfish reasons. I don't want to go to hell. I said to you that I think that you know the, the church, with a broad statement but not an absolute statement, is kind of, lost its way. Let me give you a couple of Old Testament examples of that, short ones. We're reading on Thursday mornings, we're reading Nehemiah. And um, in Nehemiah, they've, uh, Nehemiah has rebuilt the walls. Remember we talked last week about sound the trumpet, right? He's rebuilt the walls around the, the city of Jerusalem. And um, they're starting to reestablish you know, life as they knew it before God disciplined them through uh, Nebuchadnezzar, and now this is just my impression, but somebody's digging around in the catacombs of the temple, and they stumble over these scrolls that are the law. 
And they're like, holy smokes, we've completely walked away from our faith. So Ezra the scribe gets up, if you read um, Ezra, and and they, they call together the heads of the families, this huge multitude of people, and they start reading to them probably what would be the first five books of the Old Testament. And the people are blown away. They're so blown away that they establish a new covenant and they all sign their names to it, that we're going to go back and act how we were supposed to act. But for 70 years at least, and probably for many years before that, or the 70 wouldn't have happened because the 70 was a discipline of God because they weren't keeping covenant, they totally lost a sense of what it meant to be in that covenant relationship with God that he called them to, that they agreed to. The same is true, I'm going to say 400, 200 200 years earlier, the king was anointed, uh, King Josiah. There's a Wildwood story to why I always can remember Josiah, but I'll tell you guys later. Um, sorry, Trees. And, and King Josiah gets anointed as king at age eight. He's eight years old. He's king of at least Judah, probably king of Judah. And uh, at some point, as he gets older, somebody's digging around in the catacombs of the temple again, and they find these scrolls. And they've literally not been practicing their faith and then Josiah, who is one of only two kings, if you read at the end of each, one, each story of the king, it's like, it was an evil one, he was an evil one, he was an evil one, he was an evil one. And he, he was a good king, and he did right in the sight of God. Josiah is only one of two, maybe three if you count David, um, that, that got that kind of a report in the scriptures. And he reestablished their Jewish faith, and he tore down all of the other altars and symbols and ashram poles and all that kind of stuff that they had erected towards false gods. That leads me to Hebrews chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. For this reason, we must pay... Now, this is, this is speaking to Christians, right? This is whoever wrote Hebrews speaking to Christians. For this reason, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard so that we do not drift away from it. See, they drifted away from God. They drifted away from covenant. And, and they really, they probably still identified themselves as Jewish, as Israelites, but they had totally disconnected from how they were to have relationship with God. We have to be very careful that that doesn't happen to us. For this reason, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard so that we do not drift away from it. For if the words spoken through angels proved unalterable, and every transgression and every and disobedience received a just penalty. Now, now that's speaking back to the law between God and Israel. If that one was like that, just penalty, how will we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? After it was at first spoken through the Lord, it was confirmed to us by those who heard, God also testifying with them, both by signs and wonders and various miracles, and by gifts of the Holy Spirit according to his will. So if we don't be conscious of the covenant that we signed up for, we'll drift away from it, guaranteed. We have drifted away from it. We will, we will drift and think we're okay. We will not be disciples and think we are disciples if we're not careful. If you don't see me drifting and help me to get back, because I don't think consciously I would drift on purpose. I would only drift by deception or by apathy or by whatever. Distraction. Right. We're being warned in Hebrews 
of those things that the Jews struggled with. I'm going to tell your testimony now. Is that okay? Okay. So um, here's an example. Uh, Faith and her family are very good friends with Annika. So uh, I have a relationship with Faith and her family. I actually have kind of a spiritual paternal relationship with Faith. And I really like it. It's beautiful. Um, I'm going to get to walk her down the aisle. Better keep your nose clean. <laughs> the story will tell you why. So, so I don't know, you know, some time ago, um, Annika mentions to me, hey, Faith's got a new boyfriend. I'm like, that's awesome. She tells me a little bit what she knows. What's my first question? Does he love Jesus? Well, I don't know. I imagine so. So the next Sunday I see Faith and I say, hey, Faith, I hear you got a new boyfriend. She says, yeah. I say, that's nice. Does he love Jesus? Well, I'm like, Faith. She's like, well, I said, Faith, you know, you gave your life to Jesus and you said that you were going to live your life. Now, I understand, you know, you don't want to be an old maid. You're probably like almost 21 or 22 at that time. I understand. But you gave your life to Jesus and, and, and you said that since he died for you, you would die for him and you were going to live your life. I said, you know, the scriptures say that you're not to yoke yourself to an unbeliever. Okay, Baba, hog, I love you, do what you want, but I love you, you know, but, you know, I, I might get this wrong. I always tell stories better than they are. Um, I think one more time, I, I asked her, hey, you know, are you still seeing what's his name? I never called him Mr. Wonderful, just so you know. Um, <laughs> so anyway, I, I confronted her again. It was very uncomfortable, I think, for you, not so much for me, but, you know, because I love you. Right? It's not because I'm the, the Bible thumping, hit you on the head, what's that word, gaslighting, you know, controlling. It's because I love you, and, and, I, and I want you to be this way with God, not, not, you know, a little bit connected with God. Left it alone, I love you, hugged her. Next time I saw her, she came up to me. I don't remember exactly how the conversation started. She said, I broke up with him. I said, God bless you. God has better for you. Because he doesn't want you to be yoked to somebody who doesn't love him. That's why with my daughters, I told them all, listen, you need to let me pick your husbands. <laughs> I was serious as could be. I mean it, seriously. You bring me a lineup, you pick every other quality that you like, anything you like, all I'm going to do is I'm going to figure out whether they love Jesus. Not whether they go to church on Sundays, whether they love Jesus. Because if you pick a guy that loves Jesus, you're going to be okay. And I messed with this one. This is going to be her husband right here. I messed with him. She got a new guy. I'm like, does he love Jesus? She said, yes. I said, good job. How you doing, Mr. Wonderful? She might think so, but I'm not convinced yet. But he is wonderful. And you know why he's wonderful? Because he loves Jesus. That's why. And that's why you're good for her, and she's going to be good for you. But if nobody cares about us being a disciple of Jesus in the manner that he calls us to be a disciple then she might have got, you know, you're enamored. There's probably some interesting stuff about that guy. But none of that matters because he doesn't love Jesus. But I can understand it. But you're supposed to be a disciple. God will give you one. Amen. Okay. No drifting. Let me use this one. This is so interesting as a foundation to understand what disciple means. Acts chapter 4 excuse me, chapter 1, verses 4 through 8. 
We're Pentecostals. This is going to strike you a little different than how I'm going to give it to you today. Uh, This is Jesus literally like probably minutes before he ascends into the sky to the right hand of the Father. Gathering Gathering them together, he, Jesus, commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for what the Father had promised, which he said, you heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they were asking him, saying, Lord, is it at this time you are restoring the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know times or epochs which the Father has fixed by his own authority. Here, here you go, ready? But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria, even to the remotest parts of the earth. Now we know what happened on the day of Pentecost. They waited. God delivered the Holy Spirit on them. Like with the sound of a mighty rushing wind, they began to speak in other tongues. Peter started to preach the gospel to thousands of people that had come to see what was going on. But what does that mean? you got to wait, those guys, us too, right? Be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Don't go do anything until you're baptized with the Holy Spirit. For what purpose? It says right here, power, right? You'll receive power. What purpose was, why was it necessary for them to have power? It says right here. Put it back up there, that one, would you? And you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witness. The power is so that they can be his witness. Now I think power to be his witness, I always thought that's like the power to heal people, right? Like it said in Hebrews, confirmed with miracles and signs and wonders of the Holy Spirit, power. And and I think it does, but right here, you know what that is? That word, witness? Guess what the Greek word that's translated to witness is? Martus. Guess what English word, if you look at the entomology of this word, like where did it come from? Guess what English word comes from the Greek word martus? Martyr. That's exactly right. So you could read this this way. All right, guys, I'm getting ready to go to the Father. My work is done. Pretend I'm Jesus. My work is done. You all go and wait for the baptism of the Holy Spirit where you will receive power to die, to be my martyr. Why is that necessary? Because without the power of God... We can't die to ourselves. Even with the power of God, you know how hard it is to die to yourself? It was not easy for her to tell that guy, probably had a great relationship with him, to tell him, hey, listen, sorry, I made a bigger commitment to Jesus than what I made to you, and and I can't have this relationship with you. You had to die. You died to yourself in that act and lived in your resurrected person towards Jesus. You put off the old and you put on the new, right? Let me just tell you what the, the English dictionary, how the word martyr is defined. A person who voluntarily suffers death, voluntarily suffers death, as the penalty of witnessing to and refusing to renounce a religion. Martyr. A person who sacrifices something of great value and especially life itself, for the sake of the principle. I want you to remember that. Sacrificing life, martyr, sacrificing life. We think about Jesus sacrificed his life. He, he, he went on the cross and he died physically. 
But the harder death you're going to have to understand, which I, you know you probably do, is the death to self. The death to, but I like this guy, but you know, I'm going to tell him about Jesus and maybe he'll get saved. It's like, no, 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 no. Let him come tell you about Jesus and then talk about a relationship. Because you're dead to that. Good job, by the way. Now, to be Jesus' disciple demands and requires your death. Maybe I'm going to get to this in a minute in my notes. I don't know, but it's a mindset. Right? It, it's when, when you share the gospel with somebody, you need to tell them this stuff. Because if they don't have this mindset, they will not be Jesus' disciple. To be a disciple of Jesus demands and requires your death. If you don't choose to die, you can't be Jesus' disciple. That's not my words. Those are his words. I'll share them with you in a minute. Now, here's what I want you to understand. I don't believe that Jesus is necessarily rejecting a person who says, that's too much, Jesus, or, or whatever. I think what he's saying is, unless you set your mind to what it means to be a disciple, you'll fail. You'll just fail. Right? The analogy I've used in the past about a disciple is this. Let's say that you love triathletes. Like it's the hardest kind of, you know, prove you're, you're just a massive athlete in the world, triathlete. I think triathletes, they run 100 miles, they bite. No, they run a marathon. How many is that? 24, 26 miles? Yeah, I'm already, I'm already not a triathlete. They, they run a 26-mile marathon. They swim a mile or something. Try that one time. And, and they ride a bike 100 miles. So let's say you're, you're talented, you know, you do pretty good, you're a good bike rider and all that kind of stuff, but you think you could be a real, like, world champion. And there's one guy, and he trains all of the world champions. Everybody that's been a world champion for the last 15 years has trained under this guy. So you write him a letter, and you tell him about yourself, a little bit of your resume, and you get an audience with this guy. And you say, you know what, I think I could be the world champion if you train me. And he says, well, if I'm going to train you, here's the deal. You eat what I tell you to eat. You don't eat what I tell you not to eat. You drink what I give you to drink. You go to bed when I tell you to go to bed. You get up when I tell you to go to get up. You don't do this, 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 this. You train with me this many hours a day. My, I own your life. Because if you don't train the way I have you train, you can't be the best triathlete in the world. That's what I think Jesus is trying to say. He's like, you don't understand your call, but it is so high that if you don't choose to die to yourself, you won't make it. You'll compromise. You'll whatever. And you'll fail at the mission that we have together that the Bible calls commission. What, don't, you don't have to respond to this. I just want you to think about it for a minute. Whenever you got saved, did anybody tell you this? I mean, was this part of the conversation when, when you responded to Jesus? <laughs> yeah, right, you were <laughs> in my living room. <laughs> hey, it worked out good for you because you, you really do have a fruitful I love Jesus reflection on your life. Praise God. Let's talk about that death a little bit more. John chapter 12, 23 through 26. This is Jesus speaking. The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Jesus, to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. He who loves his life loses it. 
And he who hates his life in this world will keep it to life eternal. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there my servant will be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. Jesus' death was necessary if anybody else was to come after him. If he, if he doesn't die, if he ascends without dying, then there's no sacrifice. If there's no sacrifice, then there's no payment for sin. If there's no payment for sin, then we're lost because we can't be righteous before God ourselves. So in order for Jesus to go, he had to die first. Otherwise, the rest of this is just a waste of time. But then he said they must follow him. What does it look like to follow Jesus? Here's a scripture that will give us an idea. It's Matthew 16, 24 through 25. Jesus is again speaking. If anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. So you see parallels between those two things. But the first thing Jesus says, there's no fruitfulness unless there's a death. It's not well unless you die. It's just not well unless you die. Because unless you die, you can't be fruitful for God in Jesus Christ. When, when he talks about die, and he says, the one who will lose his life for Jesus' sake will keep life, he's saying, if you're willing to lose this life, like he did, then you can have that life when this one is done. But if your choice is, no, I'm going to keep this life. I shared the gospel, spent... I don't know how many days, you know, individual meetings with a guy one time. And um, I said, are you ready? He said, no, I don't want somebody else making my decisions for me. He didn't want to lose this life. He wanted to keep this life. Well, then he can't have that life. If you think there's some way you can have one foot in the kingdom and one foot in the world, guess what? Both feet are in the world. There's no feet in the kingdom. I heard a story um, guy said that there's a guy standing on a fence, and Jesus is on this side of the fence. The guy made some kind of thing about Jesus, and Satan was standing on this side of the fence. And, and Jesus said, I'm so happy that you've decided to join my kingdom. And, Satan, and the guy said, whoa, 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 I haven't decided yet, you or him. Satan said back to him, here's what you don't know, I own the fence. If you're on the fence, you're in that kingdom. If you're thinking about it, J.D. asked me one time, okay, Pat, you're so hard about this. A guy's ready to come forward and make a confession of faith. Hasn't done it yet. He hasn't actually, you know, he drops dead on the way. Heaven or hell? I said hell. How can that be? Because it be. Because that's it. You enter into covenant with God by meeting the terms of the covenant. He was coming up to meet the terms. Now, you know, maybe he already did in his heart. Maybe the guy went to heaven. I don't know. It's just a, it's just a, a metaphor. Thank you. But I wouldn't, I wouldn't want to say that guy's in heaven because he was going to. How many people were going to? Let me just tell you something. You know what the best day to start a diet is? Tomorrow. Tomorrow. Right. So when I get there, guess what? It ain't the best day anymore. Tomorrow's the best day. How many people are waiting... You know, hey, just one more fling, just whatever, and then they get hit by the bus. They were gonna, but gonna doesn't get it. Have to die. There's no way around it. 
if you want to try to keep your life. Now, listen, I'm not telling you that if you've, if you've held on to a little something. I was talking to Denny about this during worship. I just, I just so praise God because they are transformed in an area that I wrestle with. Money. I'm like, hey, well, you know, the roof needs a, the church needs a new roof, but, you know, there's only this much money. You might be able to pay for the roof with it, but then you won't have any money. My faith ain't so good with no money. He's like, who cares? We'll spend it all. If we need a roof, we'll spend it on a roof. If we need some the next day, God will just give it to us. I'm like, man, there's dead right there. There's dead to fear. There's dead to wondering whether God's a good provider. Die to that. And he's killing me right now in that area, teaching me. I praise him for it. I don't like it for a second, but I praise him for it because I want to be like Jesus. Unless you die, you cannot be Jesus' disciple. So he says that you must deny yourself and take up your cross. What is the cross? It's an implement of death. Every time you feel that cross rubbing against your neck as you take it up daily, there's probably something that needs to go. And it's reminding you. The cross is an implement of death. Okay, now this will be kind of a long bit. I'm going to read you from Matthew 10, 32 through 39, but I'm going to jump into Revelation in the middle. Okay? Matthew 10, starting in 32. Therefore, everyone who confesses me before men, this is Jesus speaking again, I will also confess him before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I will also deny him before my Father who is in heaven. So you can get this picture, right? It's time to go. The bus hit you. You're standing up there before God the Father. Only one of two things is going to happen. Either you're going to be welcomed into heaven, or you're not. Jesus will confess you, or Jesus will not. You've got to understand, it's, it's a huge big deal that you confess with your life, that you're dead, right? So, so if I said, oh yeah, I confess Jesus, 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 and then, then my life challenges that confession, what happens? I, I didn't really confess him. If my life doesn't agree with my confession. That's why I want to take you into Revelation for a minute. So we'll start in Revelation chapter 13. And we'll read 16 and 17. Now this is speaking to this thing called the mark of the beast. You you might be familiar with that. That that there will come a time, a seven year time of tribulation. Where God says he will shake everything on this earth that can be shaken. He will allow Satan to empower and rise up this guy called the Antichrist. He will establish his kingdom on earth, and he will demand to be worshipped and even set himself on the chair in the temple of God, declaring himself to be God. You, not you, because you won't do it, you shouldn't, you will agree with him or disagree with him based upon whether you take this thing called the mark of the beast on your forehead or I think on your wrist. If you take that thing, then what you're saying is, He's my Lord. If he's your Lord, guess who's not your Lord? Jesus. Okay? All right, let's start here. And he, Antichrist, causes all, the small and the great, and the rich and the poor, and the free men and the slaves to be given a mark on their right hand or on their forehead. And he provides that no one will be able to buy or to sell except the one who has the mark, either the name of the beast or the number of his name. So he establishes a program. He says, you're either going to worship me or you're not. You're either mine or you're not. Okay? Here's how I know you're mine. You take a symbol. The mark of the beast, it's called in the Bible. Now, if you have the mark of the beast and you're hungry, you can go to the store and you can buy some food. You can take what I gave you and you can go get pizzas. 
But if you don't have the mark of the beast, you can't. They're not allowed to sell you food. You can't go to VG's and get a salad. You can't go to Walmart and get a hamburger to cook up. You cannot buy until you can't trade. You need toilet paper. Nobody can sell it to you. Why? Because you have not pledged your allegiance. Now, you might say, well, God is an understanding God, so I have children, and my children will die if they don't have food. So I'm going to just take the mark. I don't really agree with him. He's not really my Lord. I'm just going to take the mark so that I can get some food and feed my kids. That would seem reasonable, right? That would seem like the heart of God, right? Let me just tell you, it's not. Okay, so we go on. Revelation now, chapter 14, 9 through 12. The consequence of taking Antichrist's mark of confession. Remember, we're talking about confessing Jesus or denying Jesus. So, so if you confess Antichrist in place of Jesus, you get that mark. There are then another angel, a third one, followed them, saying with a loud voice, If anyone worships the beast in his image and receives a mark on his forehead or on his hand, he will also drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is mixed in full strength in the cup of his anger, and he will be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment goes up forever and ever. They have no rest day and night, those who worship the beast and his image. And whoever receives the mark of his name, here is the perseverance of the saints who keep the commandments of God and their faith in Jesus. So there's no, there is no um, out clause about the mark of the beast. If you take the mark of the beast, that's your eternity. That sounds a lot like the lake of fire to me. Hell. Okay? Now, fast forward then to Revelation chapter 20 and verse 4. See, during that time, there will be people who take the mark. And during that time, they'll get the benefit of it. They'll get to eat food, they'll buy and sell, make a living, all that kind of stuff. But there will be people, despite their kids are hungry, that will not take the mark. Okay? Revelation chapter 20, verse 4. To give your life to Jesus, to not deny him, to confess Jesus. Then I saw thrones, and they sat on them, and judgment was given to them. And I saw the souls who had been beheaded because of their testimony of Jesus, and because of the word of God, and those who had not worshipped the beast or his image, and had not received the mark on their forehead and on their hand, and they came to life and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. If you think the testimony of Jesus is a casual thing, you're wrong. When, when, when you're in, none of you, of course, in Iraq or wherever the, not the Kurds, whoever the Christian people were over there when ISIS had control, and they were demanding those people would take and swear, what's the word? Um, yeah, confess Allah. And put down Jesus. And if you don't, there's your kid right there, and there's a guy with a big sword. I'll chop his head off. They said, God, I trust you that if he chops my kid's head off, it's going to be okay. So they do it. They rape their wives and make them watch. And they, they hold their confession to Jesus. They kill them because they won't break their confession to Jesus. During the tribulation time, specifically, the ones that said no are the ones that were raised up, beheaded people, because they wouldn't take the mark of the beast. So when we say confess or deny, confess Jesus, well, I like this guy. I'm like, yeah, but you're denying Jesus. No, I'm not. I love Jesus. It's like, no, 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 sorry. You know, I love you, but no. If you love Jesus, you do what he says. 
If you don't do what he says, you don't love Jesus. Now, you're going to have to wrestle with this when you're challenged, like, like I'm challenged with you know, some of the stuff that I'm dealing with. Denny might have been, probably not Denny, might have been a little challenged with God said, get rid of all your stuff and just trust me. Might, might have been a little, just a tiny bit. Not much because he's Denny. But seriously, that's where the rubber meets the road. And you failed for a little while, but you didn't fail because you love Jesus. He didn't measure your failure. He measures your heart. And he knows because of your heart that you're going to be okay, right? And because I'll find that guy. Just kidding. So when Jesus says to confess or deny his name, it's serious business. It's not casual. Okay. Now, that was Revelation. Remember, we started in Matthew chapter 10. Let me just go back. Therefore, everyone who confesses me before men, I will also confess him before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I will also deny him before my Father who is in heaven. That course of Scripture continues. Do not think that I came to bring peace on the earth. I did not come to bring peace but a sword. For I, This is Jesus talking. I just want you to hear this. This is Jesus talking. I did not come to bring peace but a sword. For I came to set a man against his father and a daughter against her mother and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, and a man's enemies will be the members of his household. Listen to this. He who loves father or mother more than me, Jesus is saying this, is not worthy of me, Jesus. And he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he who does not take his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. He who has found his life will lose it, and he who has lost his life for my sake will find it. Swallow that piece of candy with your lamb of Judah. No, I guess he's the lion of Judah. The the lamb of God. He's soft and he's tender and he's understanding, he's graceful, he's merciful. He is. But not as a license to date the guy who doesn't love him. (laughs) Sorry, you should have not given me permission until after next week. But it's what I got, right? I mean, there's more. But I might have to talk about me, and that'd be painful. Um, I came not to bring peace, but a sword. What's the sword? It's the sword of decision that's the sword of division. I love Tanya Grace. Man, I love her so much. For those of you who don't know, she's my oldest uh, and second adopted daughter. She's from Ukraine. And um, she was in a situation that I didn't approve of. Tanya, Tanya Grace, it's so cute. I'm not to diminish you. She, you, I think you called me daddy too. Matter of fact, the day we got her, she called me daddy with the English, Australian, New Zealand accent. Daddy. Melted me. Tanya Grace called me daddy. I love you, daddy. But I had to confront Tanya Grace. And I only had her for a little while. She's already 16 when I got her. Lots of stuff is already in her. And I don't want her to not call me daddy. I don't want her to say... I don't love you. I want to say I love you, Daddy. And, and I think about I'll compromise a little bit because I don't want Tiny Grace not to love me. I don't want to lose Tiny Grace. And the Lord spoke to me. He said, I didn't come to bring peace but a sword. Where does the sword go? There's Jesus, there's Pat, and there's Tanya Grace. Pat, where's that sword going to go? Is it going to go between me and you? And now you'll be sure that Tanya Grace will like you and she'll say I love you, Daddy? Or does it go between you and Tanya Grace so that your relationship with me stays intact? Where, where do you want to put it? I'm telling you, God spoke this to me in my prayer time. I said, Lord, it goes between me and her. There is no choice. There is no option because you're Lord. But I trusted him that if I was hard with her, that I wouldn't lose her. And I didn't. 
the point is that that sword is the sort of decision that brings division. If your priority is your children above Jesus, then your priority is in the wrong place. If your priority is your parents above Jesus, now you need to understand what that means. If your devotion to anything is greater than your devotion to Jesus, it's misplaced. Or you can't be his disciple. You can put it wherever you want, but you will not be his disciple unless he holds such a high place in your heart that second place, the most dear things in your life, father, mother, children, wife, husband, looks like hate in comparison. You hear what I'm saying? Now, now, last week when I finished talking about what the gospel is and it isn't, and the week before we talked about how you respond to the gospel. Last week I talked, I think the week before, about count the cost. Like, wait a minute, before you say the prayer, before you say Jesus is Lord and I believe in my heart God raised him from the dead, you have to count the cost. This is the cost. This is, this is what you're considering. If your son says... Uh, let's say your son has a different sexual preference than what the Bible would indicate was righteous. And you're a Christian. And, you're, and so your son knows that you think that that sexual preference is sinful and wrong and bad. And your son says to you, Dad, listen, you can have me or you can have Jesus. I'm not changing. But if you say that you want Jesus, then you're done. I'll never talk to you again. You'll never see me again. That's what it means, right? And those things happen, right? So, so what Jesus is saying is, you say, man, I'm going to miss you, son, because your devotion to Jesus makes that deep, deep love, the pain that you're going to feel from having lost that relationship pale in comparison to your devotion to him. Not that he'd reject you, but you can't be his disciple. And only as a disciple, only in death can we produce fruit. Here's the actual count the cost scripture. Luke 14, 25 through 35. Holy smokes. I'm going to read really fast. Remember, the Baptists are still in line at the uh, Lucky Steakhouse. Now, large crowds were going along with him, him as Jesus, and he turned and said to them, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, Jesus, he cannot be my disciple. You thought I'm making this stuff up. It's right there in the book. He cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not carry his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which one of you, when he wants to build a tower, does not first sit down and calculate the cost to see if he has enough to complete it. Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who observe it begin begin to ridicule him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king, when he sets out to meet another king in battle, will not first sit down and consider whether he is strong enough with 10,000 men to encounter the one coming against him with 20,000? Or else, while the other is still far away, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. So then, none of you can be my disciple who does not give up all his own possessions. Probably when somebody gave you the, you know, with every head bowed and every eye closed, you know, you're ready to give your life to Jesus. Raise your hand. I'm not sure this is what you thought they were saying. But this is what the Bible says, right? Now understand, when, when he says give up all your possessions, he might, like he did to Kennard, and maybe to Denny and Mindy, I, I don't know your story quite as well, might have said literally give it up. Like Kennard had to sell everything and give the money away. 
But he might be saying also that you have to have the place in your heart. You've made the decision that it's not yours anymore. It's his. And, and when he asked for it, like today, you know, I just felt this overwhelming thing. You've blessed and honored me so much. I'm not even saying God did it, but I'm not really that nice a guy. But, but boom, do this, you know. It's like, okay. Teresa said, I said, hey, you got any money? She says, <laughs> she always looks at me funny if I ask that question, especially at church. She says, why? I said, I want to give it away. She said, okay, yeah, right, yeah, she'll fight with me. She, she could bust him too. But, but the point is, it's not mine. If he moves on my heart, and I can do it, I mean, you know, I couldn't quite do it because I had a number that I thought he said to me, so y'all help me, thank you, blessing too. The point is, that's what it means to give up all your own possessions. Hey, I want you to go to Grenada and preach the gospel. Well, I got a nice setup here, Lord. I got a nice house, comfortable, close to church, paid for. It's really good. He's like, yeah, sell it. I mean, I didn't have that conversation with him. I'm like, okay. I just want to make sure it's really him. He had Teresa pray about it. So here we are, right? Calculate the cost. Don't, don't think so much about building a tower. What he's saying is you don't build a tower and make a fool of yourself to start the tower and then you can't finish it. You figure out whether you got what you need to get her done before you start, Right? Being a disciple is figuring out whether you're willing, because you will have it. It doesn't. It's not an issue of you can or you can't. It's an issue of you will or you won't. But you really have to decide, because when you say yes, you're really saying yes to a lot. Um, that, that scripture finishes, right? The last one says, uh, none of you can be my disciples who does not give up all his own possessions. Therefore, salt is good. But if even salt has become tasteless, with what will it be seasoned? It is useless either for the soil or for the manure pile. It is thrown out. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. He's like, listen, don't start to be my disciple kind of half-baked in your commitment. Because if you're salt and you don't stay salty, like, you know, you compromise, it's too hard, it's whatever. I really didn't calculate how hard it was going to be then you're basically worthless to God. I mean, if I'm reading the scriptures right, and, and, and you in that state, not even good, like you would mess up poop. <laughs> if, if you got thrown on a poop pile, it'd be like the poop pile is worse for having you there. That's a pretty strong statement, right? Okay. Let me just give you another quick, really fast quick. Thank you so much. One more week and then church be like this. Here's another example, another, um, another die-to kind of thing. And this is a tough one. I mean, it's, it's, it's really a tough one. It's the world. What's the world? Well, you know, I just love so-and-so music, but do you ever listen to the... I'm sorry, I'm looking at you guys. It's them, I'm really... But they get their feelings hurt if I look at them. It, it's, it's, it's music that, that is um, corrupting to your soul. It's things that enter through your eyes so that the light inside of you is darkness. It's compromise. It's, gosh, you know, but it feels so good when they tell me, eh, I'm not going to go there. It's my daughter when she wanted, no, oh, I get yelled at for this. My daughter who, when she's like 17, right, she wants to go to the club and party and shake and rub and all that kind of stuff. And I'm like, well, you can't. What do you mean? Well, you got baptized. You said you love Jesus. Oh, it's okay, Dad. I love Jesus. I said, no, you don't. Not, not if you go do that kind of stuff, right? You have to die to that. But I want to, I understand. I, the, let me tell you some of my want-tos. 
Got to die to them, right? Okay, so the world, 1 John 2, 15 through 17. Do not love the world, nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. So, so if we love the world, it's, like, it's not like your flesh isn't drawing you to worldly things. But if you choose to, to love those things, embrace those things, then you don't love God. That, that's what that says. No, no, I do. It's just, you know, it's just a weakness. It's like, no, 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 no. You don't love God. Just, just say it, because that's the case. Or, deny yourself, take up your cross, don't do those worldly things, and express your love to God. goes on. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the boastful pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. I'm just thinking about how late it is. I'm sorry. The world is passing away and also its lusts, but the one who does the will of God lives forever. So, so John is more gentle. James, you know James. You ever read the book of James? James is like, he can't even look at you without poking you in both eyes. He does not bring gentle. He just says it how it is. This is the deal. Here's how James says to you and me about having a relationship with the world. You adulteresses. We can stop right there. But he doesn't. Do you want, do you, you adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is hostility towards God? So when you think you're watching that thing and it's, you know, whatever in the movie or the music with the bad lyrics, it's aggression towards God. It's not neutral. It's not just like not good. It's aggression. It's hostility towards God. Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Any affections, participation with the world is a demonstration of not having a love relationship with God. And I know it's tough because the world is trying to suck us in all day long. That's why kids should not have smartphones, tablets, or, I mean, they need to be screwed down so tight because it's pollution, it's corruption that gets in them. And, and once it's in there, it's hard to get it out. I'm just trying to shorten this for you. I'm not going to. Luke 17, uh, 7. I think it's more than 7, but my, my copying thing didn't copy properly. It starts in 7. Luke 17, 7. This, this is Jesus speaking again. just want you to understand the relationship that he's expecting. Which of you, this is another parable, which of you having a slave plowing or tending sheep will say to him when he has come in from the field, Come immediately and sit down to eat. Understand, the slave is us, and the guy who's talking is Jesus, right? But will he not say to him, prepare something for me to eat, and properly clothe yourselves, and serve me while I eat and drink, and afterward you may eat and drink? So here's this guy who's a master, Jesus in this parable, and here's Pat Brady, who's the slave in this parable, and I've been out working the master's field all day long, and now it's dinner time. I come into the house, I'm hungry. I'm ready to have something to eat. He says, no, 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 you just clean yourself up. You fix something, you serve me. And once you've served me, then you can feed yourself. And here's what he says next. He does not thank the slave because he did the things which were commanded, does he? So you too, when you do all the things which are commanded, you say, we are unworthy slaves. We have done only that, that which we ought to have done. Can I tell you something? When I read this scripture and pray... I question whether I'm even worthy of those comments 
whether I've actually just done what I'm supposed to do. I might have even fallen short on that, let alone ask for some kind of extra grace. Does Jesus love you? Heck yeah. If you ever wonder from these scriptures, all you got to think about is the cross for one second, and it'll get you back on balance. But at the end of the day, this is what it's talking about to be his disciple. Okay, Luke 9, 57 through 62. Fast, fast. As they were going along the road, someone said to him, him is Jesus, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, the foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Jesus' assignment was no different than ours. The way he was dead was to himself to the Father. The way we're dead is ourself to him. He goes on and says this, and he said to another, follow me. But he said, Lord, Jesus says to the guy, follow me. And the guy says back, Lord, permit me first to go and bury my father. But he, Jesus, said to him, allow the dead to bury their own dead. But as as for you, go and proclaim everywhere the kingdom of God. And another, or another also said, I will follow you, Lord. But first permit me to say goodbye to those at home. But Jesus said to him, no one, after putting his hand to the plow and looking back, is fit for the kingdom of God. You starting to get the, the gist of what the scriptures say? Okay, write this down if you're taking notes. Matthew 25, 14 through 30. I'm not going to read it. It's basically a parable. Well, no, it is a parable. It's a parable of this master who goes away. Before he goes, he's got slaves. He gives his slaves an assignment. He gives each one of them something to invest on his behalf. One, he gives five. They call them talents. One, he gives two. The third one, he gives one. And then the master goes away. Guess what? Jesus is the master, and where is he? Gone away. What's he done? He's, he's, he's filled us with his Holy Spirit. He's invested to us gifts and talents to be used on his behalf to bring back a return to him. Okay? So he comes back. We're going to go stand before Jesus, and we're going to give an account. The master in the parable comes back, in the first one, he gave that guy five. And the guy's giving an account. He says, here, master, are the five you gave me, and look, I've earned five more. He says, well done, good and faithful slave. Enter into your master's peace. The second guy now comes in. He was given two. He says, master, look, here are the two you gave me. Here's the two that I earned on your behalf. Five and five, two and two. Well done, good and faithful slave. Enter into your master's joy. Okay? It didn't matter that he brought back two versus five. It mattered that he brought back what was commensurate with what was invested in him. Right? Third guy comes back. He was only given one. He says, man, I know you're a harsh guy. So I took the one you gave me and I buried it because I didn't want you to come back and I had nothing to give you. So here is the one that you gave me. Here's what he says to that one. But his master answered and said to him, you wicked, lazy slave. First one, good and faithful. Everybody wants to hear that when you meet Jesus, right? It sounds like good and faithful comes with an investment, right? Good and faithful, good and faithful, Enter into your master's joy. The last guy, you lazy slave. Here's what they did with the last guy. He didn't enter into his master's joy. Therefore, take away the talent from him and give it to the one who has the ten talents. Why? Because he was faithful. For to everyone who has, more shall be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who does not have, even what he does, not, what he does have shall be taken away. Throw out the worthless slave into the outer darkness, in that place where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So he's invested something in all of us. The question that you need to ask is, am I providing any return back on that investment? Or am I just thankful that you know I get to go to heaven? Because Christianity is a participation sport. It's not a viewer sport. 
Revelation 3, 14 through 20. I'm so grateful for you guys, but I'm telling you, the line is still long at the restaurant. This is Jesus. He's written these letters. He's dictated these letters to John to be delivered to these churches. Each one, it's very interesting how Jesus sees the churches. This is the church at Laodicea, and this is the church that I think most accurately reflects if Jesus was to write the church, the Western church, a letter, what it says. To the angel of the church at Laodicea write, the amen, the faithful, and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God says this, Jesus speaking again, to the Laodicean church. I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish that you were cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. Because you say, I am rich and I have become wealthy and have need of nothing, and you do not know that you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked, I advise you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may become rich and white garments so that you may clothe yourself and that the shame of your nakedness will not be revealed. And I have to anoint your eyes so that you may see. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. Therefore, be zealous and repent. Jesus is not pleased with, nor does it appear that he will tolerate forever casual Christians. People that are just comfortable to la-la-la and not die to themselves and produce a, a, a fruitful return on the investment that he made in his death and in his spirit in them. If you're found to be lukewarm, there's only two outcomes. The, the one is you stay that way and Jesus spits you out of his mouth. You can decide what you think that means. I think it's a pretty horrible thing. Or you can be zealous and repent. Jesus is looking for his body, his church, to have zeal for him and for the things that he sent us to do. Here's how that course of scripture ends. Behold, Jesus speaking, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and will dine with him and he with me. Isn't that interesting? I'm ready to spit you out of my mouth. You, you, it, other translations use the word vomit. Like you're, you're, like, you're like icky stomach acid vomit in my mouth and I can't stand it and I'm, I'm getting ready to just put it out because it's not changing. But if you're willing to repent and be zealous, I stand at the door and knock. Which side of that door do you think the the doorknob is on? It's on the other side. Yeah, Jesus, King of kings, Lord of lords, the one who died for us, we're being such, you know, not you, but, you know, probably, such that the taste in his mouth when he sees us as his people makes him want to vomit. Yet, he says, but if you'll change... I'll come in. How do you get him in? You open the door. How do you open the door? You be zealous and repent. I'm honestly almost done. So when he says count the cost and, and he gives us like, die to yourself, pick up your cross, you know, wh- what is the cost? And, and I don't know the full answer to this. But just at the top of my head, I asked the question, here's what I, I wrote down. The cost. All your possessions... Any affiliation with the world, your parents, sibling, and children as we relate to your devotion to Christ and his mission, your will. Like Jesus said, yeah, maybe there's a better way to do this. Remember in the garden, he's sweating blood. 
if there's a different cup that I could drink from and still accomplish, you know, but not my will, but your will be done. And he knew what was coming. Your will. Your dreams and ambitions. Like, oh man, I've always my whole life dreamt of, of retiring to a paid-for house or whatever. And it's like, nah, hmm. Nope. Any dream or any ambition that isn't aligned with his will, his dream and ambition for your life, you've got to die to it. Your life. But here's, here's the, like, you know, I don't know whether you think of this as, as, as horribly depressing. I hope you don't. I mean, there was a time I would have. You know, there was a time in my, my understanding, my maturity, my knowing of God, where this would have been like, are you kidding me? Seriously? But now, to me, it's glorious. Because everywhere there's a sacrifice, there's a cost, there's a reward. Remember, there's, Jesus tells, I don't, I'm, I'm not real familiar with this scripture, so forgive me if I don't get it just right. He says, to the one who has something much, will, been forgiven, to the one who's been forgiven much, will love much. But to the one who's been forgiven little, they won't love so much. I think about it. My life, if you knew what a rebellious, God-hating, flesh-loving, selfish, I still can have some of those traits, but yet God died for me. And if I act outside of that, he, he doesn't make me dead again in my faith my, or my salvation. When I think about that, that's a reward in itself. But there's more. The glory of God is our reward. Becoming like Jesus. If we'll die to ourselves, guess what? We come like Jesus. We can shine his glory. That was the issue at the beginning. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of who? Of God. We get restored back to that. But we've got to die to this. So let's start back. If you remember, you might not. At the very beginning of this, I had a revelation. It wasn't my revelation. Listening to Teresa, listening to a teaching. And it's like, man, that guy gets it better than me. So I introduced the gospel as the opportunity to enter into a love relationship with God. And that's what it is. It's a love relationship with God. So for all of that dying and all of that denying, let me read you 1 Corinthians 2.9. But just as it is written, things which eye has not seen and ear has not heard and which have not entered into the heart of man, all that God has prepared for those who love him. It starts and it ends with God loving us and us loving God. So then you, you ask the question, how, how much is enough? And my answer is, I don't know. But it's less, if it's less than everything, it's not enough. It costs Jesus everything. Amen. He died for us, so we die for him. And the glory of his grace is not a license to keep your old life, but the parts you haven't let go of yet. He doesn't judge you in those, because that judgment is in Jesus Christ. And it's our glory to release our lives so that we can have more of his life. Amen? Amen. Father God, I pray that this is so true. Lord, if there was ever a message that I preached to myself and the rest got to just hear it, this is it. Lord, I just pray for all of us to be dead, all the way dead, that every morning we crucify our flesh, every day, every middle of the day, every night we crucify our flesh, we deny ourselves so that we could be like you, so that we could stand before you. 
And we can hear the words, well done, good and faithful slave. Enter into your master's joy. Bless everybody today, Lord. Just bless them for staying here this long. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you very much.